This is The Rock Show with Andy Fox. Steve Lukather was one of several session musicians who formed the band Toto in the late 70s. From 1978 to 2018, they released a total of 14 albums, selling over 45 million worldwide and winning seven Grammy Awards, mainly for 1982's Toto 4, with the number ones Rosanna and Africa, an album that went three times platinum. As a respected session guitarist, Steve Lukather has also played on over a hundred albums, including the likes of Cher, Alice Cooper, Earth, Wind & Fire, Elton John, Richard Marks, Boss Gags, Barbara Streisand, Eric Clapton, and very famously, Michael Jackson's Thriller. He's also recorded and released eight solo albums, the latest of which is this year's I Found the Sun Again, his first release for seven years. So in this week's interview, Steve Lukather tells us how it all came about and including his Toto bandmates, David Page and Joseph Williams. I knew Dave was, I wanted Dave on my record because I wanted to get him out of the house and play on something, like without having to do anything, you know. And... I just casted some different people because I wanted to play with some different people, you know, that I've been on tour with for the last 10 years. Um, and Joseph was around because he's one of my best friends and also he helped me with the lyrics and stuff like that. And he was, you know, he really helped me vocally and stuff like that. Helped. He, he was, you know, and he, he, and I played some on his record. We did a vocal duet. He sung some, you know, he sang a bunch of my record. Um, we just thought, well, let's put the records out like with two mug shots on the cover and put them out on the same day. And it's kind of like Toto got a release, but it's not. But if you put the records on shuffle, maybe you might get an interesting result. I don't know. We didn't set out to do that, but we are members of both. And he had a bunch of the old Toto guys, like the other sidemen, like uh, Simon and Lee Sklar and Nathan and stuff. You know, I just kept my band pretty simple. And I did my record in eight days, and he spent a long time it's a brilliant record oh it's so good you're gonna flip when you hear his record i'm so proud of him so we get to play some of that stuff live and i get to play some of my stuff live and toto songs hits the deep cuts we've got a new band as soon as they uh you know we can leave the home and get back out into public and have human contact again we're ready to go every time we do a record we try all we try as hard as we can with toto there's a lot more people a lot more writers a lot more input as producers and we're our own musicians as well. So, I mean, there's more to argue about. <laughs> but um, with my own record, first off, I didn't have time to make a record in that period of time. Toto made a couple of records. We did tours, and I was out with Ringo Starr. I, I didn't have any time to do it. I had an outlet for new songs on the Toto stuff, and I had the live itch scratched hard, 200, 220 days a year. And um, there was just no time. And I knew that this version of Toto was ending and um, I wanted to do something. Joe was gonna, he's already started working on something. I said, well, you do your record, I'll do my record, let's go on the road together. It's like, yeah, that's a good idea, you know? And then, you know, it just sort of, then we started working on each other's records and then the idea of us playing together and David Page said, you guys should go out as Toto and fuck it. There's been 15 versions, you know, why don't you go, you and Joe just go out in front we would take a couple of good guys from the last backing band and we got some new fresh guys the drummer from Snarky Puppy and my buddy John Pierce from Huey Lewis's band and my own session guy my oldest friend and found a new guy Steve uh, Majora who sings Crazy High and plays keyboards so it'll be uh, Toto Dogs of Oz new version keeping the music alive 
and playing solo stuff in there too to spice up the set. Like when Paige came into play, he's like, God, this is so great. I just get to play. I'm going to worry about everything that's nice. Like, you know, so he played great and he had a ball. And he couldn't help me and Dave. Of course, he was giving me production input and stuff like that. You know, it wouldn't be right. I wanted him, I want, I love him. He taught me how to do everything. So his opinion means a lot to me. The fact that he was excited about playing music made me feel good because he's been sick for a while. And, you know, see him in the studio thriving and being the old Dave was just really a, the best thing of it all. And he worked so well with Jeff Babco, the other keyboard player, and they both have this mutual respect and love for each other. I knew that was going to work. You know, doing two keyboard players, you got to be sensitive to, like, who's really going to be, you know, okay, well, I'm the lead guy, you're not, and whatever. They were just so, like, they knew... Like, Paige had to play the Hammond on that because he just owns that Steve Winwood shit. You know, he owns it. I wanted that. And Jeff has the most beautiful touch on a piano, but Dave plays that honky tonk piano too. And then, so there he, you know, Jeff and him had this great thing going. Jurgen Carlson on bass from Government Mule. He, you know, he, he was brought a really great flavor to it all. Plays different stuff, doesn't play like a studio guy. And, um, and then me and the stuff that we wrote and the covers that we picked set set the stage for like why well, I want to make a record in 1971 but have it sound like it was made in 2020. Use the same yeah. epic, same recording, everything live in the studio except the voice. And I wanted to do it fast. Not, not have the time to labor over and overproduce it. Like, listen, Toto loved those big records and they took a long time to make. But I wanted to do something opposite. What's the point of doing a solo? It's not even a solo record. How can I call it a solo record with all these brilliant musicians? But, you know, uh, they put my name on it and I was able to, you know, be the producer. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying I was able to call the shots and, and everybody agreed with what where I was going with it. And I'd ask everybody in the room, that's the take, man. They go, that's the take. That's the one. You know, I mean, I, I would welcome opinions, but the buck stops here, you know. I picked the three cover songs to set the mood, and then I was on vacation with my girlfriend and Big Sur. And I looked at it and I said, you know, i got to start a record in about a month. I don't have any songs. So I called up Jeff Babco and go, come on, help me out. Man. Let's, let's start. I got a couple of licks, but like, you know. And then I called Stan Lynch from Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, uh, ex-drummer. And he writes great lyrics and has been writing with us since the Tamboo era. He writes yeah. with Don Henley and all that stuff, so he's a really great word guy. And Joseph helped me with some of that, too, so... Because I was down to the wire, I needed the help. And plus, when people are there, it pushes you to finish stuff. So I had, yeah, and Jeff helped me flush out the musical ideas, and he wrote these great charts, and we were able to do this. And uh, the rest was just God and magic and great players, you know. I mean, there was some real dark stuff towards the end of the Toto, the last Toto incarnation. Lawsuits and people not getting along, and it's just depression, you know, and just being away too long. You know, these guys bitch about being on the road. I was on the road a hundred times more than them. So, I mean, I missed my little kids growing up and shit. You know, it's just, there's a lot of... This isn't all fun and games, you know? Everyone only sees the, oh, wow, I want to be a rock star. I want to make all this money and shit like that. But, you know, that's a small part of the business and the reality of living in life for 45 years. You know, I've learned a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've done a lot of stupid shit. I've said a lot of stupid shit. Some stuff I can't take back, you know, but, you know, I've made mistakes. 
you know, terrible mistakes. But, you know, hey, I'm living life. And life is a learning experience. And I'm trying to get better and finding the sun again. I found love in my life. I found peace in my world by letting go of the past and all the negative people that were up against me. And um, I'm starting over again at 63 years old. I made a new album that I'm real proud of. Some great people that I love. And I'm going to go on, when we can go and play on the road, we're going to go and play with some really fun, great musicians and have a good time. Let's go back to the very early days of Toto. They were all session musicians for the likes of Steely Dan, Boss Gag, Steels and Croft, and invited you apparently to join Boss Gag's touring band. Jeff Picaro and David Page did a, an album with Boss Gags called Silk Degrees, and David Hungate was the bass player. Um, and they went on tour, the first leg of the tour, and when they came back, I was just out of high school pretty much, and they Jeff Picaro and Jay Winding and Steve Picaro, I guess they recommended me. And so I went down and they just called me on the phone. I didn't even really have to audition. And I went down there and I was so excited to play. This is like, I wanted to be in that band and the album was wailing and Mm -hmm. it was the tour to be on. And it was like, and it really, it was an amazing. Boz was so kind to me to hire me. And Les Dudek was the guitar player at the time, so I was just the second guitar player. Well, we're, I guess Les and Boz had some words, and Les left, and and Boz goes, I guess we need to get another guitar player. And Jeff McCarl stood up and pointed a stick at me. He goes, you don't need another guitar. Let's play something with this kid, you know? And so it was my moment. You know, I was like, sink or swim, you know? And um, so we called out the song Jump Street. Which is interesting because Les played a slide solo on that, and at the time, I, I mean, I'm not really a slide player per se, especially when you hear somebody like Derek Drugs, who's definitely not a slide player. <laughs> but I was this was 1977, so I said, you know what? In my mind, I said, you know, I'm not going to try to be anybody but me. I'm just going to give what I got and, and just go for it. And if they need to hire another guitar player after that, so be it. And I went for it, and it worked. And at the end of it, everybody was like. And, and Boss went, I guess we don't need another guitar player. And that, changed my, that moment changed my life. And also proved to Jeff and Paige that I had the chops to maybe do this. Well, prior to that, they invited me to come do a track January 9th, 1977. I'll never forget it. And we cut one track called All Us Boys, which ended up on our second record. But that was my first time I ever recorded with those guys. And, and I got that too. And Boss kind of made a big deal out of me. Like, yeah, I'm 19 years old on guitar, which nowadays there's like shredders that five years old but I was there wasn't that many of us me and Landau and so there was guys around but mm-hmm. it was rare and, and it really Je- Jeff and Paige said and Steve they, they wanted me to and I heard they were starting a band Sony Records or then Columbia because the record was so su- successful and Paige wrote most of the songs actually all of them except for one and Jeff played drums and Hunge played bass there was a core band there and, they, and Columbia had found out you're starting a band we want you and so we sort of had a record deal before anything. We had done four demos prior to that tour. Um, and I was part of that. Every weekend, I go, Did I, am I going to get asked back? Am I in? He go, well, I don't know. We might look at a couple other guys. And then there was a whole bunch. I'd be doing an overdub, and there'd be a whole bunch of the local guys like, who's this kid, man? What is this guy jumping the, jump the queue? Like, they all thought maybe they were going to get it. And I, but I felt bad. I mean, I wasn't trying to steal anybody's gig. But I guess there was something that they saw in me that I didn't even see in myself. Yeah. I was so, I'm still terribly insecure, but I wanted this gig so bad that 
I really feel that the good Lord reached down and said, okay, kid, this is your dream. You get it this time. Maybe I heard it from a past life. I don't know what it was, you know. But it all just, by that, it all happened so fast. We were in the studio a month after the end of the summer tour in 77, recording the first Toto album before we had a name. We, we didn't really want to, first off, I didn't like the name. I thought it was a dumb name. You know, I, we, our high school name was Still Life. I thought, there it is, you know, that's a cool name, you know. Nah, no, nah, we need something simple and they wanted to do something different. And, you know, I was a junior member at the time, so I didn't really have any say. And Jeff and David went out and had some margaritas at Lucy's El Adobe and they went home and watched The Wizard of Oz. And <laughs> I think they, that, that opened up the idea and they started writing it on the tape boxes. I could, and I'd be going, Toto, Toto? I mean, the music's, you know, it's a little dog in The Wizard of Oz. It means a whole lot of different things around the world, we come to find out. But literally, that's the truth. I think that was the catalyst to them doing that, and it just sort of stuck. So you started doing sessions with the other guys and were well known as a session guitarist to go to from the likes of Aretha Franklin, Warren Zevon, Lionel Richie and virtually all of Michael Jackson's legendary album Thriller. The first session we did for Quincy, I, I had done the Dude record with Quincy, David Foster introduced me to him. We, I sort of got invited him to be like you know in Quincy's crew and I was like 22 23 years old mm -hmm. after we did that uh, he came up to me at the and said look man I'm going to do the next Michael record and it was coming off off the wall so I hadn't didn't do it I didn't do that record and he goes I want you to play on some of this Michael Jackson I was like oh this is going to be one of the biggest records okay cool I'm there I'm all in so he hired the first thing he did was call me he goes yeah the first track we're going to cut is with Paul McCartney and like my <laughs> like trying to keep it together like really Great, you know. So I'm, I hang up the phone. I go, I can't. I'm, I'm gonna play with one of the Beatles. One of my all-time here. The reason why I breathe and live and why I, you know play music. And so you know, and he hired Jeff Picaro and me, and then David Page was there too. David Foster, Lewis Johnson, and I forget who else was on the date. It might have been it. And Paul and Michael. And the song was "The Girl Is Mine," and you know, Quincy didn't write stuff for me really. It was just chord charts, and you know. So I came up with a good part of the song. You know, well, leading up to that, I was going to meet Paul, and like we were all really nervous. We almost had to be vetted because it was very soon after the right. tragic loss of John, being around new people in Hollywood, and just wanted, you know, I mean, not they were scared of me, but it was like they wanted to know who everybody was on the session. Mm -hmm. Super high security and all that stuff because Michael, and, you know, there's the, you know, the two big, you know, biggest stars in the world at the time. And thrilled to be on the session, you know. That's when I kind of went, I think that I worked my way up here. You know, I, was, I, I didn't say it, but I felt it inside. Mm -hmm. I'm looking around, Paul and Linda walk in, and there's Michael, and I'm like going, this is like surreal, right? And we started jamming on uh, I Was Made to Lover, Stevie Wonder song, which somewhere exists on a tape, or may not, maybe they didn't roll the tape. It was Bruce Swedeen, Ed Cherney was the second engineer. And Quincy and, and George Martin was there. Jeff Emmerich was there. I'm looking out in the room. It's like this is like you know a childhood wet dream, you know, musical wet dream, if you will. 
And I wanted to go, I better play good, man. This better be good. And Paul and Linda were so gracious and nice. And Michael was cool, man. He was great. And just to loosen it up, I think Paige started playing I Was Made to Love Her because, you know, and Jeff jumped in and I started playing and they started singing and they, it was in the phones. I'm going, this is, this is like you're kidding me, right? Is, am I going to wake up here anymore? And it went great. And then we cut the track very quickly and I came up with kind of a cool little part and Paul goes, that's a great part, man. And at that point I could have died. And Michael was cool. Everybody was fun. Quincy was like, oh, this is great. Man, we got the track and everything. I walked out of there going, wow. So then he called, you know, I get another, you know, then, then I got, I think it was like Beat, that Beat It came because it was weird. They had cut a version of it prior to this and they wanted Eddie Van Halen and Ed and I are dear friends and we have been, we were friends even back then. And he didn't do sessions or nothing like that. They had cut a version of it, and Ed, and, they, and, they, and these are the days when they had two 24-track machines, and they used to make slave tapes. You know, you make one, and then they copy, so you could do a bunch more overdoors at the end. They put it all together in two reels, and you mix. That was really high-tech stuff for 1982. Okay, Eddie's playing on it, so I got, like, the Marshalls, and I, and I played the guitar riff first. And we quadrupled it, made it big, and I... There was no bass on it, so I said, bring me down a bass, and I'll play the bass on it. This is just the riff tune. You know, it's not like I had to be Jocko Pastorius or anything like that. And so I did all that. We sent it to Quincy. He goes, I love it, except the guitars are too heavy. I got to get this on R&B radio, pop radio, and rock radio. He goes, you know that little amp you have, that you know, little deluxe? He goes, do that and don't quadruple, just do two, so I can get it like that. So I did that. They loved it. And then Quincy goes, come on down with Michael. We're going to do some. He wants to add a couple of these other riffs, which the da 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 and that's all they had. And, I, and that was just so monotonous. I said, why don't we do it da 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 to give it something, a little different flavor. And at first they were a little hesitant, and Michael was I like that. So they wanted me to do this part, and they're standing there, and I did it a couple of times. And Quincy's like, it's not really in the pocket, you know, lay in the pocket a little bit more. And Michael's gonna gave me a couple little bit of directions and stuff like that. Let's try it again. And I started doing it. Michael started dancing around a little bit. I knew I was I think it's like, that's yeah, that's great. Let's double that part. And blah blah blah. And that's the record. And then they mixed it. I think it might have been Steve Picard, Greg Filling is the made that synth sound bow at the beginning of it. That you never hear again anywhere in the song. And the rest is the rest. And so it was a really positive experience. Who knew it was gonna be one of the biggest records of all time? No kidding. And uh it was weird because our album won album of the year the year before and then Thriller was the next album of the year that's mm -hmm. so we were on two years in a row and then, although nobody gave us much love for that you know a lot of the critics didn't like us too much so they didn't want to really admit that we had anything to do with it they, they don't understand what studio musicians were all about mm -hmm. Jimmy Page took me aside once for the first time I ever met him actually the first and only time I ever met him there was an event at Guitar Center in L.A., and I went with Eddie Van Halen to go, and every guitar player, rock guitar player was there, and it, we walked in the door, it was Jimmy, he was the guest of honor for this thing, a Marshall thing, you know, closed-door event, and we went in, I was like, I get to meet Jimmy Page, how cool is this going to be? And I walk in with Ed, and uh, Jimmy points at me, he goes, I want to talk to you. And I move out of the way to his head, you know, I'm like, he goes, no, 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 Steve, come here. I'm like, okay. And I, why he took me aside in the room. Everybody's kind of looking at me like, hey, he goes, I want to tell you something. I read in, an art, I read in a, a guitar magazine that you said, like, well, you know, being a studio musician, people give you heat for it, as opposed to maybe I'd be taken more seriously as a rock guitar player if I didn't do all that stuff. And Jimmy goes, 
That's not true. He goes, I was a studio musician. John Paul Jones was a studio musician. He goes, a lot of those guys out there, they don't understand what that is and what it takes to be. You should be very proud of that. And I'm looking at him like, I'm looking at him like, are you serious, Jimmy Page? I, I, I gave him a hug and I said, thank you. I go, can I tell people you said that? And he laughed at me. He goes, yeah, man. He was such a beautiful cat, you know, English gentleman, you know what I mean? And I kept that to myself for years. I think I told that. I said, you believe it And then he came out and was so gracious to everybody. But I had that moment. Walked alone, searching for the girl who had just caught his eye. It was a fool, he cried. His mind had wandered. He blinked and the sky moved ever so slightly. He searched the city and she 